Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. Genesis, chapter 37. And uh, we gave you number 23 of those types that we were talking about. I mean, verse 27, we gave you that, 28. But uh, in verse 28, if you have it, it says, Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph. This is the part we wanted to get to. And sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And some reminded me that I didn't give you the title for number 24, and it is Joseph is sold, number 24. We discussed how that Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and here Joseph is sold for 20 pieces of silver. And we referred to the fact that uh, when Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, that that was the price of three things. What were the three? The price of a bond slave, a slave, and the price of an outcast, and the price of a rejected shepherd. And uh, we could give you the references to that. Well, I'll probably do that. I'll turn back and see. In the uh, the uh, the slave is Exodus 21 verse 32. The uh, outcast is Hosea 3 verse 2, and that takes some explaining because uh, when we get there, we'll find there's 15 pieces in kind and 15 in money. And then you come to the uh, rejected shepherd. That was Hosea 3.2, and then the rejected shepherd is in the book of Zechariah, chapter 11, and verse 13. And that's the price of the rejected shepherd. But anyway, that's a whole other lesson in itself, so we won't take time to, to go into that. We just keep your place in Genesis chapter 37. Now then, we not only said Joseph is sold in verse 28, but I would like for us to read uh, verses... Um, 31, well, we read 31 through through 33. And this is number 25 that we've been talking about. We've given you 24 things wherein Joseph is a type or a picture of Christ. We call him a type or a figure or a picture. And here we have Joseph. Joseph's blood-sprinkled coat, this is number 25, is presented to his father. Joseph's blood-sprinkled coat is presented to his father. Now, let's read it in verse... 31 through 33. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And there, and they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. They knew that it was Joseph's coat of many colors. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him, Joseph, without doubt is rent in pieces. Let's stop there for a moment. Joseph, without doubt, is rent in pieces when this coat that was dipped in blood was presented to Jacob. He accepted the blood without any question. And we're going to give you some references how they, uh, they presented this coat of many colors to Joseph's father. Let's think about the blood of Christ. I'll give you several references. Let's look at John... Uh, 19, verse 34 through 37. John chapter 19, verse 34 through 37. <clears throat> it says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. This is the side of Jesus as he was hanging on the cross after that uh, <clears throat> the soldiers came by and inspected and they found that he was dead already. 
but they wanted to make sure they had to break the legs of the two thieves, one on either side, to hasten their death. But when they came to Jesus, uh, they found out in verse 33 that he was dead already, and they break not his legs. But verse 34 that we just read says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side forthwith, and forthwith came there out blood and water, blood and water. And he that saw it, that's John, bare record, and his record is true, but he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the Scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. So they looked on him then when they pierced. And then Revelation tells us that they're going to look on him again. They shall look on him whom they pierced when they see Christ in the future. So what we want to point out here is that the blood did come out and water. And then in John chapter 20, if you look there in verse 17, well, let's read the passage because we need to get this story in our minds. Let's uh, begin reading verse uh, 11 through, uh, through 17. John chapter 20, verse 11 through 17. But Mary stood without, this is after the resurrection, and Mary stood without at the sepulchre, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. The grave clothes could indicate which way was uh, buried in, in the sepulchre. One at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain because he had shed those grave clothes. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Verse 16 says, Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabona, which is to say, Master, when Jesus called her name, she knew who it was. That familiar voice and that tone and that uh, atmosphere of love, that close feeling. And he said, Mary, and she immediately recognized him. She turned herself and said to him, Rabona, which is to say, Master. Now look what Jesus said in verse 17. This has puzzled many, and there have been many comments on it, and some have given one thing and some another, but I believe that we can at least look at what the Scripture would demand out of this. Jesus saith in her, Touch me not! For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Now here's Mary Magdalene. And he says, Touch me not. Now look in Matthew, the last chapter. Matthew chapter 28. Now I want you to keep in mind what was just said to Mary. But in Matthew chapter 28, after the resurrection, let's just pick up with verse 5. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye. Here's the women that gathered together. For I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. Here's the proof. He's not here. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee, and there you shall, shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. Now remember, there were many appearances of Christ after the resurrection. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. Now look, and as they went to tell his disciples, this is a little later on, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came, now look at this, and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Later, when all, when all these women were together in fear, it says they came and held him by his feet. Jesus didn't say, Touch me not, did he? But over in John's Gospel, he said to Mary, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my feet. 
father. But I ascend to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. So it's said in the scriptures that Jesus is our great high priest. And in the Old Testament, the high priest, when he would enter into the tabernacle or the temple, with the blood sacrifice from the brazen altar, his work was not complete because until he went immediately in to the behind the veil, into God's very presence, and presented that blood of the sacrifice. Now, Jesus, the brazen altar is equivalent to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And that high priest had to go in the Old Testament and present that blood of the brazen altar in the presence of God behind the veil. So, I believe to fulfill the type and symbol of what the high priest did, that Jesus had, he presented that blood that he shed on the cross, not literally, we're not talking about that, but in the heavenly places, as a fulfillment of all the actions of the high priest of the Old Testament, so that it was completely done and accomplished, and that's why he said, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but I ascend to my Father and to your Father, and to my God and your God. And it doesn't mean that that was the ascension that we see later on in the book of Acts when he was taken up literally into heaven and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, that is the only explanation that's scriptural that I know of to look at concerning these two passages of Scripture. That in some way, in some fashion... He fulfilled everything that was necessary to present His blood to the Father. And when they present that coat of many colors to in the Old Testament, Joseph's coat of many colors, unto Jacob or Israel, he says, this is evidently my son's coat. And without a, uh, a doubt, he is rent in pieces. And he, it was as much as he accepted the fact that his son was dead. He says, a wild beast has devoured him. And by the way, did you know that there's one thing that is surely, surely, beyond all doubt, acceptable to the Father? And that's the blood, the shed blood of His only begotten Son. And through that, our redemption is secured. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. If you turn over in the book of Hebrews, if you will, please, the 10th chapter, I want you to notice what it says here. In verse uh, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by what? The blood of Jesus by a new and living way. We've told you before that that word new there means ever fresh. And it's the only time in the New Testament that you have the word, the particular word new that you find here. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with, uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So it tells us that we have a boldness and it tells us the forerunner. And look in Hebrews chapter 6, if you will. Let's read verse 18, 19. It says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. Two immutable things is His oath and His promise. His oath and His promise. That we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which, and which entereth into that within the veil whether the forerunner 
is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And here, instead of after the order of Aaron, it's after the order of Melchizedek, symbolizing the fact that he ever liveth. Aaron's type had to cease. And the Levitical priesthood had to cease. But after the order of Melchizedek, who had his... Uh, the Bible says neither beginning of days nor end of life. That means that they were not recorded. His beginning was not recorded. His end was not recorded. It doesn't mean it was Jesus. A lot of pe- people try to make Melchizedek uh, of old uh, Jesus in pre-incarnation form or in the form of the Old Testament. But... Uh, I don't believe that's what it's teaching, but I'll say some more about it when we get to teaching Hebrews further. But let's look at this. So what we see basically is that uh, in these three passages, John 19, 34 through 37, you have the blood and the water coming out of the side of Jesus. John 20, verse 17, you have him saying to Mary, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. I ascend to my Father and your Father, and to my God and to your God. Showing that something had to be done before... He was to be touched. Later on, remember, he said to all the disciples, Touch me and handle me and see. For spirit hath not flesh and flesh and bone as you see me have. It didn't say flesh and blood, did it? It said flesh and bone as you see me have. So, the, he shed his blood on the cross, but typically, or symbolically, or in some way or another, or in some mysterious way that we do not know or understand. Someone says, You understand all that, Brother Josh? No, absolutely not. I just try to look and see what the Scripture would teach about it and try to put two and two together, so to speak, and try to see what is actually taught. Just like, you know, we're talking about, if you were to talk about the transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured before the disciples, or before Peter, James, and John, three of His chosen apostles, and His face did shine as the sun, His raiment was white as the light, and the Bible said, said there was with him Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with him. And they spake of his decease in Luke chapter 9. Matthew 17 is where we were quoting from. But in Luke chapter 9 it says, They spake of his decease which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Someone says, well, what's all this about? You get over there and Peter tells about it. And he says it was a preview of the second coming of Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his power and of his coming. He said, we saw... What will happen? That he's going to come back again in splendor and glory. And his face is going to shine like the sun. And that's what John beholds in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. So anyway, that's a whole other lesson too in itself, isn't it? But the point we want to make about this is that you see in these three passages, John 19, verse 34 through 37, and John 20, verse 17, in Hebrews 10, verse 19, that's the three references, that uh, Joseph's blood, sprinkled coat, is presented to his father, and his father accepted it without a doubt. So when Jesus, when God sees the blood of his only begotten son, in whatever fashion that this, this mysterious thing that we've been talking about may have uh, transpired, and you tell me someone that really knows, I don't know. But I know that there's some things here that that are deeply uh, spiritual and deeply symbolical and 
most wonderful in that, in what Jesus said and what He did after His resurrection. And what He did in shedding His blood on the cross when His side was pierced with a spear and forthwith there came out blood and water. And of course we have the medical explanations of that and what happens when the heart is pierced and so on. And, uh, and the blood comes out and the water comes out too from the body. But anyway... That's a whole other thing to talk about. But what we want to see is the fact that uh, the Bible teaches of the redemption and forgiveness through the blood of Christ. And that God, certainly God the Father, accepts the shed blood of His Son beyond everything. Just as Joseph's father, uh, Jacob, or Israel, if you want to use his new name, accepted the fact that this blood proved to him that Joseph was without a doubt rent in pieces. He accepted the blood. Now, it was not a reality in Joseph's case, was it? Because Joseph was still living. And Joseph would go on down and save the, his father and his mother and, his, and all the brothers by preparing provision for them, which is another type and symbolical things when we get into those types. But all we wanted to point out in this particular one and we'll read it again. Let's read verse 31. And we're going down through 35 this time instead of stopping in verse 33. And they took Joseph back in Genesis 37. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And by the way, the kid of the goats was attached to the Day of Atonement, wasn't it? And the blood sacrifice on that great day of atonement. I said we was going to read it, but I better stop there just a moment. Because remember, there were two goats that were sacrificed. One in, in various ways. But one was killed and his blood was applied according to all the ritual and ceremonial aspects of it. And then the other goat, the scapegoat, was taken by the hand of a fit man, a qualified person, out into the wilderness, led out into the wilderness. And it was let go out there. But what happened before he was taken out into the wilderness? He was brought there and the, and the high priest would lay his hands upon the head of that live goat. And the Bible says he confessed over the head of that live goat all the sins, listen carefully, all the sins and all the iniquities of all the children of Israel. And by, by implication that he was laying the sins of all the people upon the head of that goat. And that goat was taken away and led into the wilderness and let go so that when this qualified person came back, what was it that they thought? Our sins are gone. They're taken away for another year. And by the way, it's a yearly atonement they had because it was not possible that the blood of goats and calves should take away sins. Actually, but for them, it meant that there was forgiveness for their sins for another year at a time. And so, what happened? When they saw this man come back and the priest gave them the satisfaction that their sins were gone, taken away. And that's why John says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away, and the word there is, beareth away the sin of the world. And so Jesus took our sins in where? into the wilderness of forgetfulness. And that's why the Bible says, in various places, it says, uh, He's blotted out our sins as a thick cloud. 
He says he's buried them in the depths of the sea. And the Bible says in the Psalms, as far as the east, I believe it's Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west. That's a long ways apart, isn't it? So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Well, how far is that? Let me just tell you. That's an eternity. Because you go west and you keep going, you go around the globe. You go east and you do the same thing. And you can never catch up. If he had said as far as the north is from the south, the earth turns on its axis. And there is a pole. There's a definite place. You can say, I'm as far as the north is from the south. You can say, well, I'll go to the north pole and someone will take me up there and they'll catch up with my sins. Someone says, well, I'll go south and I'll still catch up with them. But you go east and west and you'll never catch up with them. We have the old saying, east is east and west is west, west and never the twain shall meet. And that's true. So God is very precise in what He says about our sins. If you want that reference, I'm sure it's 103. If you turn to it, Psalm 103. And I think it's about verse uh, uh, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgression from us. And that's what the scapegoat did. No wonder John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Alright, turn back to Genesis chapter 37, if you will. Does anyone not have some of these numbers that I've given you? And if you've got one missing, I'll repeat it for you. Do you have any, any one of these 25? We've had 25s thus far. That we've shown where Joseph is a type of Christ. Or something about Christ. Okay? There's only 65 of them, so we'll have to hurry along. We'll get them done by 2005. No, we'll get, get them done pretty soon. But number 26. Number 26, if you want to. And we skip chapter 38. And we go to chapter 39. Because chapter 38 shows us the sinfulness of sins. And it doesn't tie in with, especially with Joseph being a type of Christ. Because Joseph comes on the scene back in chapter 39, verse 1. Chapter 38 is about Judas' deception and uh, his fall and his transgression and so on. And it's good to see that it was not Joseph that was involved in that. But it was Judah. And then you get over in chapter 39 and we find that we come to another type of Christ. When we get time, we'll point to Judah later on in the book of Matthew chapter 1 because remember that Jesus was made of the seed of David. The Bible says that He was of the tribe of Judah. The Bible tells us the line of the tribe of Judah when we get over to the book of Revelation, remember? And Judah is tied up with sin. And we'll find in Matthew's Gospel where you have four women that were involved in sinful acts and relationships. And when we study those four women in the genealogy that's in Christ's genealogy, 
we'll find a lot of wonderful things. I've taught you that before. You remember that? How many remember that? The four ladies, the four women. Yeah, several of you do. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And we'll touch on that again at another time. But that would defeat our purpose right now, tonight. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 39 and verse 1. And we find that Joseph becomes a servant in verse 1. In list 39.1. That's the 26th, 26th uh, type that we find. And it's Joseph becomes a servant. It says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites means merchantmen, which had brought him down thither. So we find here that he becomes a servant. He is sold into servitude. How does that picture Jesus? Did not Jesus himself, and I, won't, I don't even have the scripture, but I can tell you in the gospel. He says, which is greater, he that sitteth at meat or the one that serveth? And they all answer, well, of course, the one that sitteth at meat is greater. But Jesus turned around and he said, but I am among you as the one, as the one that serveth. I'm a, I'm a servant. Uh, another scripture says, and by the way, I believe that's in Luke's gospel, but then I don't have that reference handily. Just trying to remember it. And then there's one in, that's in Luke, but in Matthew's gospel, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And that's another quote concerning servitude. And we know the famous passage of John chapter 13, where supper being ended, he he laid aside his garments and he girded himself with a towel. He took upon him the attire of a servant. And he began to wash the disciples' feet. That was the job of the servant. Uh, there are so many scriptures, but the ones I have written down, let me give you uh, Philippians 2, verse 6. This is a very important one. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Well, that's where we start. It's really verse on down. It's, it begins with verse 6. It says, Who being in the form of God, speaking of Christ, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but look now, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Verse 7 is the real main verse. Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. A servant is to be obedient. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. So you see Christ's humiliation and the fact that he became a servant. We could go on what God did. He highly exalted him. That's what will happen to Joseph back here too. So Philippians 2, 6, and 7 are the really the main points. I had verse 6 written down, but verse 7 is the main, main point uh, that I wanted to give you. And then let's think again of Exodus chapter 21. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 21, if you will. Let's begin reading with verse 1 through 6. 1 through 6. It says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, see, Joseph was sold, wasn't he? In the servitude. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years... He shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. There was a time that 
it would be fulfilled. His service would be fulfilled. In the seventh year, he'd go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If he was married when he came in. If his master have given him a wife, came in by himself, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. In other words, he didn't have the wife when he came. So the the wife and the children would be the masters. Now, verse 5. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. I don't want to be separated from my wife and my children. I, I even love my master, he said. I want to keep on serving. He was free to go. It says, Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also... Bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear, pierce his ear, through with an awl. Put his lobe of his ear upon the post of the door and pierce his ear through with an awl. That's a hard way for years. You ladies, it's a hard way to pierce your ears, isn't it? But this was a sign of servitude. Through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And you know, in the, one of the Psalms it says, Mine ear hast thou bored concerning Christ, by the way, because you find it over in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, where it's referring, let's see, Hebrews 10 verse 9. Let, let me give you some references and see what we can find out here. Hebrews 10 and verse 9. It says, Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will. He taketh away the first that he may, may establish the second. Now, he's quoting from a psalm. Let's see if I can find that reference. When he says, Mine ear hast thou bored. And it's tied in with this scripture over in Hebrews in the volume of the book it is written of me. But let's just get back to this thought and we'll uh, try to carry you a little further and show you that the place we had in Exodus chapter 21, we, were, we see the picture of here what happened to a Hebrew servant or slave. That he could go free in the seventh year but if he didn't desire to go free, if he loved his master, first of all, and loved his wife, and loved his children, this may relate to our Heavenly Father. It may relate to the brethren, the children of or the church, and then it may relate to the, the, the children of God in general. But however it's brought to, to its meaning, just remember this, that it was willing and voluntary. So Christ voluntarily became a servant forever. And we know the Bible teaches us that Christ is God's servant. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Look at Isaiah 42, if you will, in verse 1. Notice what it says here. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So all through the Gospels you'll find Christ serving, especially in Mark's Gospel. Remember we pointed out before that in Mark you have the divine servant at work, and some key words in Mark's Gospel, it says, and straightway he did thus and so, and forthwith and immediately and these are watchwords in Mark's Gospel that show us that he just went from one service to another. One thing that he did to something else. 
That's why we've encouraged you to read Mark's Gospel in one sitting. So you'll get the continuity of him doing these things, one right upon the heels of the other. And it says in verse in chapter 42 of Isaiah, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Now look at verse 2. He shall not cry, nor lift up his uh, voice, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. You know, when people are in service for God today, they think, I want, I want everybody to know it. Jesus didn't have that attitude about it. In fact, do you remember where Jesus said when one was healed? He says, go and tell no man. He says, keep this to yourself. I'm not doing this to be publicized. But people nowadays, if they do anything, you know, they want it publicized. Want everybody to know it. Kind of like the Pharisees. Lord, look what I've done. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, I'm not like this publican over here. This publican would not as much as lift up his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Propitiate for my sins. Be merciful to me, a sinner. All right? So, uh, anyway, you still have Isaiah 42, by the way? If you do, look at the next verse. A bruised reed shall he not break. And a smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment into the truth. What does that teach us? A bruised reed. You know, as far as reeds are concerned, why, why take one that's bruised and not just throw it away? Why not just get rid of it? Because there's so many out there, just get another one. A bruised reed shall he not break. That shows us the importance of every individual, regardless of how broken or how worthless we may seem to be to others, Jesus is not going to throw it away. It's kind of like when Brother Nichols read that poem about the, the man with the violin, you remember? said that a sinner that's to a thoughtless crowd is just cast aside, isn't he? But the touch of the Master's hand makes it different. And so we can find that... Uh, and it says, "...a smoking flax he shall not quench." There's just a spark of good there. He's going to bring it out. And of course, I have a sermon on that. Sometime I'll preach on it. But anyway, what we want to talk about is back here in in uh, Exodus, we've been talking about the servant that had his ear bored through with an awl. We gave you Isaiah 41, 42 verse 1. How about Zechariah 3 verse 8? Look at Zechariah. 3 verse 8. Zechariah and then Malachi. Micah and Nahum. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant. When do you see the servant again? The branch. He says, I'll bring forth my servant. I believe that scripture we gave you earlier, maybe Luke 22, verse 27, you might check it out where it says, uh, I'm among you that, as one that serveth. Luke 22. Let's see if it is. Luke 22. Luke 22. And verse 27. Yes, it says, For where there is greater, he that sitteth in me, this is the one I quote to you early, 
or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at me, but I am among you as he that serveth. So we see Christ is the one that's presented as a servant. So we get back to the book of uh, Genesis again, chapter 37, I mean 39, verse 1. And the point we made there was that Joseph becomes a servant. The next point we'll take at verse 27, it's also found in verses 2 and 3 of this same chapter. So we'll turn back to Genesis chapter 39 in our next lesson. And I believe that will suffice for tonight and we'll get the next one of these types. And when we get into chapter 41, we'll see some wonderful things about his provision.